Another report from exile. It's me, Saltine, internationally renowned art historian, anti-philanthropist, and good deeds archivist. I am coming to you from across the ocean from our little radio tower or tank, high up on the bluffs of the island. What is exile? I hear the ignorant among you uninterestedly ask. Well, exile is the little spit of land in the Stellwagen Bank where all the rejects of Provincetown get sent off to. I'm the rememberer of the isle, and it is my duty to share these stories with you, the folks on the mainland. Boy, do I have a lot to share with you this week. Well, last week was the solstice, and summer is here. And by summer, I mean rain and ferry loads of disappointed people who paid $300 to $500 a night to stay in their artificially fragranced accommodations and stay in there and hide without anything else to do. But who cares? P-Town is so much fun in the rain. There's so much to do, like... And, um... And to go to the Shark Museum. But it's a favorite weekend among the, main, among the mainlanders. Among, among, Portuguese among, festival. Oh, the dancing near town hall, the live music, the abundant linguiça. A wonderful weekend to honor the Portuguese heritage. 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 I cannot speak. A wonderful weekend to honor the Portuguese heritage of Provincetown. Brought to you, as always, by the Provincetown Business Guild and GGAS, the Gay Gentrification Association Society, which wants to remind you all that you get one weekend, and if you push it, we'll buy and sell you out of this town as fast as you can say Circuit Queen. But buying and selling is what Provincetown does best. It's what we all do best. I've been buying and selling a lot. I have been buying and selling... A dinner in exchange for my gut health. Which leads me to my story for you all today. Ain't John's Wart. Sassafras spends every summer solstice lancing off St. John's wart. He waits until the longest day of the year, for he views this surgery as a spiritual task, a task that he likes to complete in one sitting. When one decides to cut off what the great spirit put on, one must be quick about it, he said. Sassafras usually would not dream of altering any part of one of God's animals, but St. John was his best friend, and the wart grew with such unusual force, it seemed to Sassafras that it was like a knotweed of the body. God, knowing he could never be rid of it, said, Go for it. Slice it while you can. It'll come back in a day. 
and the wart hurt. The wart was on his right big toe and grew at a 70-degree angle to his body. It grew with such force that by autumn, John would have to put on his special shoes, which had a hole in the front for the wart. It looked like a head of... It looked like a head of a hen and chicks. The scientific name I made a note for, but I never found out. That was shooting up out of the mass of the flower. St. John and Sassafras lived in the monastery on exile. Monk house, or spunk house, depending who you ask. Along with five other beings living a life dedicated to spirit. This is where our dear town scryer lives, up in the attic room with the little door that opens to the roof so that he may sniff and stare at the clouds. Thin clouds, little thin strips of cloud barely covering the shiny sky, but noticeable, so noticeable, distracting even. Could be time for a bald man on the aisle to accept his hair loss, his biggest fear, and realize that by fighting the fear, he is perpetuating it. And there was Lou, a young man of 30 who fasts from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. That was hard. Pass me the pancakes. And there was Ingrid, a kind lady who took a vow of silence and raised a cow called Pylance. Life in the monastery was routine. 5 a.m. morning bell. After, Kaka, another resident, wakes himself up screaming. And then a bell, rung by the other resident, Tittle-Tattle, who never sleeps, past four due to his prostatitis. That's a pee noise. On clear days, most residents go sit in the garden out front that sits on an outcropping of stone. From there, they have wide views to the east to watch the sun rise over the harbor and the village. Until 9 a.m., there is quiet for prayer and meditation. Kaka has her own mostly soundproof room for meditation. Each communal meal is made by the residents on rotation. Everyone looked forward to Ingrid's meals, as it was part of her spiritual belief that butter was the healthiest food for you. And Pylance really supplied. In the evening was a group prayer and meditation out in the garden to watch the sunset. And then ecstatic dance until midnight, which each resident in rotation took as the DJ. On the summer solstice, Sassafras and St. John skipped their daily routine. The day before, they begin a fast, and at the afternoon, they hike up to their sacred spot beneath the very summit of Mount Vintage. They set up camp and sleep when the sun sleeps, and when the sun wakes up, it wakes them up, and Sassafras begins his work. The two friends have been camping out together since their youth on the mainland. St. John and Sassafras were born the same year in a suburb south of Boston. Their first spiritual experience was finding each other, and as they later figured it, being given each other. They couldn't imagine surviving that tiny town of scared people trying to get by by not being seen, when the two of them were simply unavoidably seen. They were flamboyant queens from day one. 
St. John with the sway to his hips and Sassafras with the lisp to his lips. The people of the town, their school, were the challenge, but the town woods themselves and each other were their sanctuary. It was in the woods behind Sassafras's house every day where they escaped into comfort. It was in the field hidden in the trees where they could lay out and enjoy the sun. It was in the woods where they felt the comfort of a big spirit, the big spirit. And the minute St. John got his license, they got in the old beat-up car Sassafras helped him pay for, and they made their way to P-Town. They made this pilgrimage as often as possible. Friday, bell rang. They booked it to the parking lot. Two now, two, again, I can't speak. Two and a half hours later, they could breathe. They got hot dogs and iced tea and putzed around. They ended up as usual with an ice cream on the beat. I still can't benches. They ended up as usual with an ice cream on the benches by the pier, watching the people go by. Their people. The people they would be one day. They barely had the diplomas in their shiny little hands when they squealed out of the high school parking lot and onto the highway. Sassafras got them jobs as houseboys in the West End. Do you think it's going to be all we've thought it will be? St. John asked, the more fearful of the two, laying curled up facing his friend on the tiny bed in the tiny room they were to share that summer. Not at all. We've got no idea how amazing it's going to be, Sassafras squealed, squeezing him, pulling the now beaming St. John into his arms. They got their names that blissful first summer, on a walk in Claps Pond. Sassafras had taken some of his namesake and put it behind his ear. When one of the other houseboys asked what it was, he responded, Sassafras. I wouldn't go saying that in front of Henry, Ian said. Henry was the houseboy they all had a crush on. Well, why not, Thethafrath said, marching himself over to Henry, who was folding towels. He kneeled down and presented the leaves to Henry. What's this? Henry asked. Thethafrath, he lisped, and Henry leaned down and gave him a sweet kiss. St. John got his name on the solstice when Sassafras fainted hungover and dehydrated while weeding the front garden, and John lifted him up, carried him across the street, and dipped him slowly into the bay, where he washed his head in the cool water. Every year they celebrated this as St. John's Day. I owe ya, honey, Sassafras would say. Sassafras and St. John put down their intertwining roots. Their partners loved each other, they shared meals, they worked together, they vacationed together. When AIDS came and took their lovers, they did not underestimate the beauty and luck that they still had each other. And when big money came and took their housing, they knew they would be okay because they still had each other. And then they had exile. When they set up in the monastery on the isle, they felt profound gratitude. They had been thrashed by the world and were still processing the whiplash. What the 80s and 90s had done was two decades of fear of loving, for the fear of losing, for the sheer amount they had lost. They could almost not trust in exile because so much good had been taken away from them. So there they were, this beautiful summer solstice day, on the top of Mount Vintage, St. John's foot in Sassafras's hand, the sacred blade, a buck knife from marine specialties, made clean by the fire in the other. Sassafras took his time, took care, and took it off. Not much blood, an easy heal. 
He washed the wound in a cooled-down infusion of their namesakes and wrapped it in freshly washed strips of old t-shirts. St. John buried the wart among the other wart, flowering yellow and standing bright. Thank you, my friend, St. John said. I owe you one, honey, Sassafras said with a wink and a kiss on the cheek. I owe you one, St. John said, returning the kiss. You owe me one hundred bucks for my last dinner at the Mayflower. A hundred? A meal there is fifty bucks. Inflation, dear, inflation, and never forget the tip. Eventually, they let the beauty in again. They celebrated each other on this longest day on the light and the sun and the length of their friendship. Happy St. John's Day. You have been listening to Exile. You can find more episodes on onexile.com or you can catch us miraculously maybe once a month or twice a month on WOMR, um, Cape Cod's community radio, on WOMR.org slash listen or just driving to Chatham for a break from our dear little village. Have a good night, my darlings.